one of the powerful things that all of these states have when they look at the cyber capabilities as an instrument of state policy, there's a layer or a degree of separation where they have plausible deniability in their attacks, and that gives them options. This is a special cyber briefing from RAIN, the Risk Assistance Network and Exchange. I'm Emily Donahue. The threat of a cyber attack looms large in corporate minds and in those of governments around the world. For instance, as the standoff at Ukraine's border continues, Rain has shared analysis with our clients of the potential for Russian cyber attacks as a destabilization tactic. An attack that devastates the infrastructure or wipes out records is no longer the stuff of science fiction. And that's why Rain senior global analyst Matthew Bay is here. Welcome, Matthew. Hello. You've done a lot of work evaluating how cyber actors, nation states in particular, are evolving their tactics. Could you describe the principal motivations of the so-called big four cyber actors? I guess that would be Russia, China, Iran, North Korea? Yeah, so obviously all four of them are countries whose threat actors do do a number of different attacks against the United States and other Western both governments and non-government organizations for a variety of different reasons. Um, but they all do have their priorities when it comes to their attacks. So I'll start off with um, Russia, because I think that's the one that's been most in the news recently about because of the stuff going on in Ukraine. Um, Russia sees, you know, a, a very... Um, Russia, excuse me. Russia sees kind of their cybersecurity... Sorry again. Um, Russia sees that their cyber activities against the West um, fit into their, their broader um, strategy of what the, what's often called hybrid warfare strategy. Um, against the United States against and in other gray areas as well when you talk about stuff that's going on in Ukraine. So what I mean by that is they're looking at ways to leverage their cyber capabilities um, to achieve disruption in some cases or achieve other um, objectives. So in the case of the United States, some of their cyber activities are designed to um, sow discontent in the United States, sow um, opposition and animosity between different rival political groups here in the United States. That's, of course, something that we saw in the 2016 and 2020 election cycles. Um, but at the same time, uh, Russia's cyber strategy is something that is important when it comes to um, its overall military doctrine. So in the case of Ukraine, we've actually seen um, Russia on a number of occasions um, launching cyber attacks that are, for example, um, designed to destroy or at least disrupt um, some of the Ukrainian power grid. Um, so that's obviously something that is a little bit more, they're more comfortable doing in a place like Ukraine than they are in the United States. Um, but it is to them something that is a critical part of their overall military doctrine as well. So they do have a very, you know, multifaceted kind of strategy. And I didn't even get into kind of the broader, you know, um, cyber espionage capabilities, which is something that Russia does. Um, but really, when you think about what sets Russian um, cyber activity away from the other members of the big four um, is probably their willingness to engage in, you know, disruption and or information warfare um, with some of their cyber attacks. Um, China, on the other hand, when we think about China, it is the probably the most prolific when it comes to uh, cyber actors against the U.S. And, and Western organizations. However, when you look at its focus, it's not nearly as focused on disruption or uh, information warfare. Um, China, it's it really fits into falls. A lot of their activity falls into two different buckets, um, both basically being a form of information gathering, um, cyber espionage for uh, political intelligence. For example, is something that China 
um, is, you know, very prolific in. And then the other area where China leverages its cyber capabilities is for uh, intelligence collection when it comes to trade secrets, you know, um, hacking into uh, universities, hacking into, um, you know, industries that are, or companies that are working in industries that are, you know, strategic, have, you know, a lot of intelligence value when it comes to um, China's overall uh, technology strategy. Um, that's kind of really where China, very prolific, but a lot of it really is around intelligence gathering. Now, moving forward, there might be a change in that strategy. If we look about, you know, a, a gray conflict theater in, um, um, in um, Taiwan or China trying to use all of its other cyber tools for coercive purposes, but that's just something that is, you know, not the priority when it comes to a lot of their cyber activities. Um, North Korea, North Korea has proven to be very prolific when it comes to um, essentially heists and cyber crime in order to offset the impact of U.S. sanctions. Um, and a lot of their uh, money earning um, operations are done by groups that are specifically, you know, linked to um, parts of the North Korean state. Um, when you look at North Korea, you're talking about a country that only has a, an economy of, you know, tens of billions of dollars, that means if they can earn a billion dollars a year when it comes to cyber crime, that's something that's very significant for the North Korean state in a way that, you know, criminal activity and financially motivated cyber attacks um, wouldn't make a lot of sense, for example, compared to for Russia or, or, or um, China when you just look at the overall sheer size um, of their economies. Doesn't mean that um, Russian and or Chinese um, hackers that are state-linked aren't engaging in some financially motivated uh, cyber attacks. It's just, again, not the priority. When you look at the North Korean strategy, that is the number one priority, with the exception of a few cases where we've seen them being a little bit more politically motivated when they, for example, did the um, Sony Pictures hack in 2014, which is really what was a retaliation for um, Sony Pictures backing the interview um, film, which was a film that um, depicted a, a an assassination of the North Korean leader. Um, Iran... Um, Iran is kind of, you know, in the middle. It's a country that is engaging in a lot of cyber activity that is aiming to either try to disrupt or try to exact a, a cost against some of its rivals um, in a similar fashion as Russia. Um, however, its capabilities haven't been as significant um, as, as Russian actors. But what we are starting to see from, from our Iranian hackers um, is the use of essentially ransomware, but for political purposes. So there's been a couple of um, Iranian uh, threat actors that are basically doing ransomware attacks, but not even demanding any kind of a ransom at the end. Essentially, it's a, an attack that aims to dis, to um, encrypt a, a a system here or, or in the United States or in Israel, uh, but aiming to cause you know economic impact for you know political purposes. Anti-Zionist is one of the the phrasing that sometimes um, that they will use when it comes to some of these groups when they say why they're attacking Israeli institutions. Um, so for them. Yes, there's this element of intelligence collection. Yes, there's an element of propaganda. Um, but we are starting to see them a little bit more engaged in disruptive activities. And for Iran, um, the use of ransomware, the use of encryption, etc., does give them a way to hit back at the United States that, uh, in a way that may not be as escalatory in the sense of you know leading to conflict. Again, one of the powerful things that all of these states have when they look at the you know the cyber capabilities as a s instrument of state policy. Um, there's a layer or a degree of separation where they have, you know, plausible deniability in their attacks, and that gives them options. So from the Iranian perspective, it's a way to, you know, lash out against the United States and Western organizations um, for the U.S. and, and, and European sanctions policy, uh, but maybe not in the same way as, for example, you know, targeting U.S. personnel in the Middle East with a, with a missile or a rocket barrage.
Matthew, how would you see the threat from these actors evolving over the near to midterm? In particular, let's focus on Russia, China, and Iran. So I think the the three of them are something that we should be watching very closely because I, as I kind of hinted at in all three of their their strategies, we are starting to see questions about how they're going to be evolving. Um, in the context of Iran, I talked about how Iran is starting to use um, ransomware attacks and other similar attacks as a, as a way to aim for disruption of Western co- uh, companies and governments' um, operations. Um, it is possible, for example, if we have the nuclear talks that are going on um, in Vienna fall apart, um, then then things between the U.S. and Iran could escalate. The U.S., for example, um, could scale up the number of sanctions that it's doing on Iran, um, and, and the U.S. and Israel could start be doing covert activity designed to disrupt Iran's um, nuclear program. They're, of course, already doing that, but they could ratchet that, ratchet that up. Um, Iran's response mechanism could include an increase in its number of cyber attacks that are targeting Western organizations, um, specifically with the aim of disrupting some of their activities, again, because they would view it as, you know, proportional to the U.S. sanction strategy. Um, the big issue with China is whether or not they will use their immense um, cyber capabilities, but take a, a more disruptive strategy when it comes to using them for coercive political purposes. Um, while China hasn't really done that to the same degree as Russia, um, given the fact that, you know, in, in places like Taiwan or even in places like Southeast Asia, we are seeing the U.S. and, and China engage in more competition. Um, in the case of Taiwan, of course, they view it as a, as a province. There's a question as to whether or not China will start to use its cyber tool more as a way to coerce governments in those regions to adopt pro-China policies. Or, in the case of Taiwan, um, make sure that the government that is in power in Taipei um, doesn't really go too far in adopting uh, pro-independence policies. Um, And that can include things that are looking more like what Russia has done now, i.e. attacks that are aiming to disrupt some of the organizations or just scaling up the number of attacks that they're doing against, uh, say, Taiwanese organizations with the aim of using that as a pressure point against the Taiwanese government. Um, In the context of Russia, obviously, Russia's kind of information warfare campaign here in the United States is something that's going to be continuing uh, ahead of um, this year's election cycle. But the area where, of course, most people are um, going to be concerned about is any potential fallout uh, of the tension right now in Ukraine. We've already seen evidence of data wipers that are being used by Russian or at least leaks suspected to be um, the work of Russian uh, hackers um, that are in Ukraine. Um, is something there that if you think about what we've seen in the past by Russia, Russia has actually done this on several occasions against Ukraine where we saw the 2017 Petya attacks. Um, the point there being, though, is that if we start to see a conflict really starting to evolve like a Russian invasion of Ukraine, cyber is going to be a huge component of that. And that's going to get organizations that not only are active in Ukraine, uh, but it could also lead to organizations that are connected to some degree to Ukraine. What I mean by that, have Ukrainian clients, uh, Ukrainian suppliers, etc. They could find basically all of those kinds of different kind of relationships now starting to see some of their you know partners being affected by some of those cyber attacks. And what would you say would be the implications for corporate multinationals? So obviously, when we talk about, you know, the implications for corporations from, you know, nation state actors when it comes to cyber attacks, um, this is not entirely new. We've seen how 
uh, cyber espionage and those kinds of attacks have been major issues for organizations over the last decade. But we are starting to now see uh, nation state actors starting to look at other ways to use cyber tools that could find organizations caught in the middle. And as we see geopolitical competition between the United States and the big four continuing to accelerate, that means that the cyber tool, which again is something that is not as escalatory as other forms of coercion, something that they are going to be more willing to consider, whether it be from an information warfare standpoint, a cyber coercion standpoint, um, hacking for state secrets standpoint, or in some of the worst case scenarios, as a way to disrupt or cause economic consequences for the U.S. or the West uh, maintaining a status quo policy. Matthew, you recently wrote a report looking at how the Russians might respond to sanctions surrounding their activities in Ukraine. What was the main takeaway regarding possible cyber actions we could expect the Russians to take? Yeah, so that analysis was focused on a kind of a worst-case scenario, which is where we see um, an outcome where Russia does invade Ukraine, but also at the same time the United States and the West um, implement significant sanctions against uh, Russia. The kinds of sanctions that we're talking about in this scenario um, may not be as significant as um, sanctioning the entire financial system of Russia to the point where it can't connect with the international financial system, but does include substantial sanctions on, for example, um, aspects of the Russian oil and gas sector or uh, Russian major Russian banks, um, oligarchs that are very close to pl- uh, President Vladimir Putin. Um, these are all very significant sanctions, and Russia would be looking at them essentially as wondering, you know, are they something that could go away? Um, and that is something when you think about, you know, Russia's willingness to engage in some more of these disruptive attacks that we've seen in Ukraine. Um, if the U.S. and the West does put into place substantial sanctions ar- architecture on Russia that is going to have, you know, significant economic harm against Russia, um, you would actually have to expect that the Russian retaliation would include what they would view be viewing as proportional cyber retaliation that could cause cyber um, disruption in the U.S. and the Western economies through things like releasing malware that is aiming to disrupt a lot of different uh, organizations' computer systems and you know data wipers. So when you think about those 2017 Montpetia attacks, yes, those were largely concentrated in Ukraine, but that is kind of giving us a blueprint of what we could expect to see Russia engage in in terms of targeting Western organizations here in the United States and Western Europe if the U.S. and the West does back very significant sanctions that are designed to really cripple the Russian economy. Thank you for that guidance, Matthew. Thank you, Emily. You can learn more about RAIN Cyber Risk Solutions at info at rainnetwork.com. Make sure to subscribe to our daily cyber brief and get improved situational awareness on emerging cyber threats. Details are at rainnetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E network.com. I'm Emily Donahue. Thank you for listening.